Welcome to a new episode of Healing Matters. Today, I'll be talking to Penelope Camarada. She's a therapeutic trauma life coach for first responders, veterans, and frontline workers nationwide. Welcome to the podcast. Why don't you start by introducing yourself and telling uh, the audience a little bit about what you do and how you got into this? Okay. Um, my name is Penelope Camarada. I am a uh, a veteran, seven-year veteran EMT dispatcher for ambulance company um, and turned, well, I still do the EMT, but I'm also a therapeutic trauma life coach for first responders and veterans and um, emergency nurses and doctors. Um, it actually started about four years ago uh, when I started going through my own um anxiety, grief, um, over the loss of a, a good friend of mine who was a Philadelphia police officer who took his own life unexpectedly. And it actually, that had happened right as I was getting my EMT certification and built up for three years. And then it finally came to a head, basically. Wow. And as I was trying to reach out to you know, find someone to talk to, try to try to work through this, understand this grief, this anger, uh, um, this this desperation of trying to find answers and depression. Um, I realized that a lot of a lot of a lot of therapists and coaches out there deal that deal with trauma. They've never dealt with it as a for first responder. They they don't know even the first thing about how a first responder thinks, acts, um, tries to, to hold things in, to communicate how we process things, whether it's um, personal or professional, that, you know, we can't just turn that switch off and on as soon as our shift is done. Of course. Um, it, it carries home, even though we we don't want our families exposed to the ugly side of what we do. Unfortunately, we we bring that home with us. Um, and it it takes a lot of toll on the family, more so than being in the department, because that family sees the the isolation, um, the non-communication, the you know, the reverse of, you know, they can be hypervigilant um to where everything turns into a paranoia. Um, and then you have triggers, you know, if the kids are screaming over something and it can trigger something from a past trauma that you didn't realize that you still had in you. And then all of a sudden it's triggered by either a smell, a sound, a, even um, a phrase can trigger different uh, things and emotions and responses. And so we we turn into this hypervigilant person who basically doesn't know how to relax, <laughs> which can cause yeah. even more problems. Yeah, so and it's, it's difficult with, um, with therapy in general. It feels like even regular yes. therapists are not trauma informed. Exactly. Because it's it's hard to pinpoint trauma because trauma is different for everybody. And we all react to it differently. We process it differently. We all have different triggers to it. Um, so, you know, a lot of that leads into that complex PTSD and, and PTSD where anything and anybody can be 
the cause of it. But what we fail to realize is that it's not just the triggers that have to be worked on. It's not the triggers we have to actually focus on. It's the root of the problem. What's causing that? And that's what I do with my clients is I take them back to that root, um, the cause of what's causing that insomnia, what's causing those anger issues, um, and and basically walk them through a process of being a third person as an observer of that event. So, you know, a lot of people will, will ask a first responder as soon as they see him is like, well, what's your worst day on the job? Yes, that's the that. worst thing you Please. can do. I mean, that's like the, the worst thing you could ask somebody because it's like the hamster on the fair on the on the wheel. It's mm-hmm. it's it starts that that movie screen instantly and then it doesn't stop. Um, and then you know, you go through everything all over again. And it's like living in a you're you're basically in a waking nightmare at that point when you're when you're processing everything over over again and it won't stop so what i do is i take them out of that context and i put them as an observer like they're watching it on a movie screen and they can stop it at any time with the remote control they are in control of what they're seeing because each each little step can be its own trauma so what we do is we take a step by step Right. And and work through each part. And, you know, you, I had I had a client who basically it took two years for her to trust me to tell me about her trauma that that caused her anxiety and her job, which ended up causing a lot of men, medical issues as well. So it mm-hmm. can it can affect everything. But it took two years of every two weeks talking to her for three hours at a time. It was a lot of time involved in this. And finally, we were able to go through and get to that root of what was going on. And even though we got to the root of it, we st- it still took two sessions to get through the actual like guided meditation visualization of, of the process because she right. was so terrified of it. So everything and everyone's different because I... I had a client that he actually went through it and within two sessions he was on his own and he was doing it by himself. He had it down pat. He could work through everything from when he was really young through up until through the military and and process everything on his own. It still took him a while, but I was not, I didn't have to be there holding his hand basically because right. he took it upon himself. Um. And and he was so into getting through the triggers and having a normal life. Um, you know, his his last step was how do I deal with relationships? I I have no concept of how to do that because he'd hidden himself away for so long. Right. And he didn't have great role models. So at that point it's like, okay, so now we're gonna reintegrate and 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 start the next process of okay. Let's talk about relationships, just having a, a social relationship with everyday people. 
you know, and that was baby steps, but he caught on to it really fast. I mean, he was my fastest client ever, <laughs> which is great because, you know, when you go to a therapist, it's like you're there for years and years with medications and prescriptions and weekly sessions. And sometimes people don't feel like they're getting very far, very fast with that because they're not, they're addressing what's causing the 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 triggers at that moment in the present time. Um, right. <clears throat> a lot of people don't want to talk about the past, um, but unfortunately that's where it all is. Um, everything that causes our triggers, no matter who we are, it happened somewhere in our past that's causing our present to be messed up and we can't move forward into the future because we're still stuck in that one moment or moments if there's more than one and there's always more than one there's never just one right. and done you know it's it's a process it's like that step ladder um it it there there's always going to be building blocks there's always going to be um you know different levels of how each one has affected the person um so i i really work on them with you know i like i like digging into the the dark shadowy self um, because that's where we are our own worst enemy. Um, right. Well, and I we like let to that remind power my, us. Yeah. I like to remind my coaching, coaching clients that trauma is whatever your body thinks it is. It doesn't have exactly. to be on a list somewhere. It's not always the car accident. Sometimes it's the aftermath or, or uh -huh. something else, or, you know, the thing that happened at the doctor's office the next day. Yeah. It, it doesn't, you know, the car accident could be like the 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 trigger instead of the actual gun. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, it's it's just a matter of perception. We all perceive our traumas so differently and what causes that trauma because that, that car accident may have actually triggered something in their past. We actually carry five generations of trauma in our DNA. So we may have fears of something or or hypervigilance of things that really have nothing to do with us personally, but it has to do with our family. Um, a coworker was mentioning that about his, his, his wife, um, that she's, she's got a lot of anxiety, um, kind of OCD with everything. And it's, but that's normal for her because her mom has it. Her grandmother has it. Um, so it's it's in the generational thing, and it's like, oh well, I have it, so I'm not going to do anything about it because, um, you know, I, I don't know what I'm supposed to do. Um, it's it's just, it is what it is, basically, and it's a struggle because those those kind of things can actually affect your relationships, um, professionally and personally. Right. Well, and also I think it's, a lot of people forget that they, that we socially co-regulate and when you have trauma, um, the sense is to isolate and to avoid, you know, the, one of the things I like yeah. to talk about is that we avoid things that hurt us. And so if we think people are not safe, then we socially isolate and we think that we're doing yeah. well for ourselves by avoiding, but really being around safe people is what heals us. Yes, exactly. But it's trying to find those safe people that has been, the biggest struggle. And, and ironically, with first responders, that safety net is with their coworkers that they spend yeah. 
during those triggers and traumas, they spend nine times, nine tenths of their life with. I mean, a lot of them will go out and have beers afterwards. They'll hang out together on their shifts off. And their regular family is the one that's getting isolated um, while they're having that safe haven. You know, it helps them not realize or to acknowledge the trauma they have because it's a way of, of desensitizing themselves in that safe environment when it's, to me, it's not really even that safe because it's actually kind of being a codependent of that. Right. Or a little bit of a trauma because, bond where they understand each other. Yeah. So they, yeah. And they, at, at the same time, they don't even talk about it. Right. They're avoiding it together, essentially. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I get that. Cause honestly, I'll be honest, I'm 47. I wasn't, I mean, I've tried therapy multiple times, but you know how it is in the eighties, nineties, you know, like it was different back then. And I've only been successful in therapy in the last, you know, six or nine months, but it was because I took courses at Arizona Trauma Institute to learn about trauma and to learn how therapists are trained. And so that I could properly vet a therapist because I had a horrible Mm -hmm. experience with therapy where it's the thing that you said, the woman didn't know how to regulate me. And when I walked out of just the session of doing the intake, because she wanted me to dump everything at once. And I'm like, okay, here we go. Mm. I was crying for six hours. And I mean, if I think about that now, like my therapist wouldn't let me out of a session. If I was that, if she had gotten me that upset, she would feel responsible for getting me my feet back on the ground before I left. I shouldn't have even been driving a car. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's tough because having opening yourself up and and being kind of you know forced to dump everything in intake forums after intake forums you're spilling your guts on paper and then having someone analyze what you've said is is basically they're like ripping you open without the anesthesia and you know you you're turning to the frankenstein after they're done on a 15 minute session and they let you walk away and you've, you've just exposed everything about yourself. And now you're going to be analyzed for everything you've written down or said. And it, it makes us that trust level go away. It makes that even more traumatic, you know, and, and bless their hearts. I, I actually went to one as a kid and I hated it because he went, he was quick to go talk to my parents about me. And it's like, my parents are the problem (laughs) or one in particular was the problem. And then he goes and tells that parent. And it's like, what happened to confidentiality? What happened to that safety net or that safe haven? And and I didn't have it. So after that, it was like, I, I can't trust him. And, and bless therapist's heart, you know, they mean well, but they like, they like to hand out those prescriptions. And to me, handing out a prescription is not the solution. It's It can become part of the problem, especially with people that have tendency towards any kind of addictions, whether it's, you know, food, alcohol, drugs, sex, whatever it may be. It's It compounds the situation. Um, yes, and then, yeah, it takes away the mental pain, but it's still there. It's not being addressed. And that's... Yes. It's like putting a band-aid on a dam. <laughs> yeah, and, exactly. and you're just waiting That's exactly or like putting tape is. over the oil light on your car and just being like, well, this is important. I'll just deal with it later. Yeah, it really yeah. is. Um, it's very and especially with complex PTSD, it's very, very complex. 
And I don't think people really realize that the old way of tell me the story of what happened isn't how we do it anymore. And I think even, yeah. you know, the fact that that therapists obviously unintentionally, you know, re-traumatizing people. But when I took my training, there was this fact that just, I think I probably stopped the, the video and like cried for a second. They talked about how people can take six to seven times to show up to their first appointment. They'll cancel mm -hmm. from the car, from the lobby, from the bathroom, from, yep. you know, like it's just, just walking into someone and trying to reach a point of safety when you already don't feel safe. And then mm -hmm. the other compounding layer is people don't reach out to a therapist or a trauma coach when they're at a level three, they go when they're yeah. in despair for, you know, three or four months and they're hanging on by a thread. And so it's yeah. just such a sensitive balance. Um, and you, you work in the industry. So one of my fantasies is why isn't, I mean, I don't know if it is now, but when you guys train, are you trauma informed? Because, you know, we see cops all the time who you can tell are not trauma informed and it's terrifying or judges, you know, it's like all of these people should understand trauma so that they're not screaming at someone because they forgot some of the detail, like right. memory loss is a, a perfect example of trauma response. Absolutely. It is. Brain fog. Um, and it's it it is because um and no they in Pennsylvania anyway there is no trauma training for anybody in the academies um EMT school paramedic school um but I actually have gotten a hold of the the EMS regional director for Philadelphia and in putting together a con ed for trauma uh, for first responders. Um, That's amazing. And it's going to actually be part of their. It's it's a mental health thing. Luckily, I'm I'm CISM trained, so that was the only criteria that I have to have because I said, "Well, I'm a life coach," and she goes, "Well, we prefer CISM trained people." And I said, "Well, I am. <laughs> I got trained two years ago, right before COVID shut everything down in nineteen and uh, two thousand nineteen. So I got in just in time." for that SISM training before COVID. And so now I get to sit down and actually write a program for continuing education for first responders, which is great That's because huge. she was, she was getting excited. Yeah. Thank you. She was actually getting excited because she was like, um, because I told her I'm also a Reiki practitioner. I'm actually a teacher at the level three. So I can actually do, um, They've actually found through the NYP or through the FDNY, the New York Fire Department, that they've trained several of their first responders to be uh, to have Reiki um, certifications, just like at the level one. And what the level one is is basically it's self care, it's retuning, uh, re-energizing your chakras, settling everything. But they've also found that. It's helped their patient care as well. When when you have your first attunement, is called, um, you actually become more in alignment with it, and your your reiki will turn on when it's needed. It it's like the it's that it it reacts at the subconscious level of whoever's acceptance of it, and you can sit next to a patient with your hand on their arm for just physical comfort, but that Reiki can actually transfer to them. 
I'm trained in reconnective healing, which is very similar. We kind of similar, but without the, like there are a lot less rules, but the energy explanation is the same. Yeah. 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 So, and they found that actually that has helped their patients getting to the hospital um, a lot better. And they've also done that. It's happened where, you know, a lot of families gather um, in prayer, the hospital for their loved one, and they'll, they'll include the EMS staff in that. And that Reiki goes out to everybody. Um, and so it it's a healing process without even having to really do anything. Um, it's just there. It's a presence and, and having, holding that, that space for your patients helps the first responder because that first responder also benefits from that, that, that energy. Right. The person Um, giving is receiving the connection. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, you know, it, that is one thing that I want to actually integrate. And she was actually kind of excited about that because she's like, well, you know, we have training centers here, here. And she started, started telling me about training Congratulations. centers. That's amazing. For these first responders. And and so it's like, oh, well, I didn't think I'd get actually that much acceptance from it because I've talked to other firefighters and EMTs and they all like, okay, that's just kind of weird, you know, and it's because it's intangible. We have right. that, that, yes. that, type a personality where we have to touch things to to believe it that sort of thing um but a few of them have actually i've done reiki on they've they've been like totally thrilled with it and they're like well, this is kind of cool <laughs> <laughs> and it's that that type a personality where you've got to break that resistance you've got to make them feel safe um and that's what i offer in my free consultations um through one of my my uh, connections online is a 20 minute free consultation to see if we're going to be a good fit because right. I'm not going to be able to connect with everybody. I mean, that's, yeah. it's arrogant to think that you're going to connect with everybody. You know, you have to have that certain r- rapport with them and they have to have that safe feeling as well, yes. you know, and within 20 minutes, you're going to know if they feel safe or not. And they are too. Um, because, they're going to spill their guts within two minutes. <laughs> and my my one veteran, he did that. He was he spilled his guts in like two minutes. And it's like, okay, you feel safe. Awesome. You know, we can move on. We can process to the next step. And, and I love that because that gives me a chance to personalize whatever program I'm, I want to work with them with, um, whether it be the complex PTSD, whether it's doing shadow work or if it's doing the guided visualization and we need to start back with that childhood trauma and move forward from there. Um, because, you know, my programs only last like the, the, the least amount is like seven days for a CVT, especially okay. for, for mm-hmm. veterans and military personnel, because they can be deployed at any time. So in order to work with them, you got to work hard and fast, but still get them those tools that they need sure, yeah. for when they go overseas and get deployed. Because I don't know if their their leaders are, are even up on the fact that they need to be in that same mindset as therapists and coaches when it comes to get keeping those soldiers at a good mental health level. You know, because if you you have them, they're at a low mental health level. That's when things go wrong. 
And that's when you get guys coming back, men and women coming back, and they lose it. Um, they go AWOL. They do crazy things. They end up in the they end up in the stockade. You know, it's um, it all plays a part, and we all have a role to play in this. And one of my goals is to to actually um, get leaders in on a on a conference to where I can sit down and say, hey. Let's look at the big picture here. You guys are the where these people look up to and and look for guidance and and get rid of these stigmas that are so far ingrained into each of the paramilitary organizations that it's still happening today in the 21st century. We need to three people that I've lost. Yeah, I have three people that I've lost to suicide or overdose that were in the military. Yeah. And it's like, we need to get rid of those stigmas that mental health is a bad thing. You know, it, it the stigma would have less massive. suicides. Yes, absolutely. And it, it starts from the, the oldest administrative you've got. Of you course, know, well, still especially generationally. Sixties. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, even for me, you know, like I said, I'm 47 and I was talking with something with my therapist the other day and I was like, I'm still ashamed. Like I'll talk with my PTSD about certain people in my podcast and my books are about that. But like, if I'm filling out a job application, I'm not going to check the disability box. And I know that sounds really wrong, but like, we know we're going to be discriminated against. We know there's an automatic set of assumptions that comes with saying that. And so it's a bit of a double-edged sword of where like, yes, I want to be proactive in my mental health, but there are also certain situations where I'm still going to mask and, you know, not yes. necessarily, you know, announce that like I have PTSD. <laughs> well, yeah, because then they start worrying about, oh my God, is are they going to be the next, you know, person that disgruntled employee type thing? And it's like, you know, or they get made fun these of stigmas, or bullied, these stigmas. whatever. Yeah, or yeah, you get singled out for for various things, including snarky remarks, you know. Um, and it all starts innocently, and then it turns into something that's ugly. Um, it it can never stay one or the other. It's always, it always turns bad. <laughs> it's just so <laughs> Because difficult. people don't understand. Well, yes. And I feel like you know? the entire mental health situation is just really lacking in a little bit of compassion. It's such a joke. Yes, it is. They, they treat it like it's a very big joke, you know, until it's not, they've seen, you know, Oh, mental health. And it's like, Oh, you need to go to the psych ward, please. Are you really going to go there with me? You know, it's like, come on, you know, we have enough we have enough first responder and military suicides that they should already be waking up to the fact that we have a mental health problem in these industries and we need to address it and and if what's not working is present we need to change what can work and be more open minded to other possibilities cuz what they have going on right now it's not working so a different approach needs to be encouraged um because the, the current one sucks um, and, and trying to break into that and, and get these leaders to listen is, is the biggest challenge right now. Um, well, it sounds like you, you know, just I, broke in, which is amazing. Like you've got the first one, which means the next one, you know what I mean? The next ones yeah. are just a referral of saying, well, this County did it or this state did it. Why aren't you doing yeah. it? Exactly. You know, and, and so that, that's going to be my, my, my big project for, 2024 is getting into the EMS registry and start with this, you know, trauma 
for first responders because a lot of first responders are also veterans. Um, veterans, right. when they come out, they can't understand or deal with civilian life. They don't know how to act. And they go right into a first responder role um, because there they know there's there's protocols, there's policy, everything's black and white for the most part. Um, you know, the it it I have my orders, these are my orders, I know how to act accordingly. You know, it's well, just like calm the military. Things don't feel safe when you have PTSD and you're used to really yeah. fast pace. The first time I had an anxiety attack was when my life got safe and things calmed down and I was finally safe. And like two months later, my system was like, what, you know, and, and I did, I was like, why is my body freaking out? Nothing's happening. Like I didn't have a clue what was happening. And then, you know, now that I understand trauma and once I learned about those things, it's absolutely normal. You know, once you stop running from the bear, your body realizes that it's been running from a bear. (laughs) Yep. Or you and just get in with the and other bears and you're like, oh, I, I like running from bears. We're going to keep doing this. <laughs> We're going to get because it's normal. It's it's yeah. it's what I feel safe in until you can work your way and slowly disengage from the other bears. You're kind of stuck with the bears <laughs> until you can figure yeah. out ways to disengage from them and, and not be a codependent, which is a big big hypersensitivity reaction and self-reliance um reaction and a lot of it goes back to the roots of what caused your trauma um i do a, a reboot recovery for combat veterans and one for first responders and um i have a wordpress um page that every week i post a a discussion about the in the reboot recovery combat for combat veterans um basically it's a blog post and then it's a discussion at the end of questions um and i in fact last night is when i actually posted the one about the same thing we're talking about right now is the hypervigilance the getting to the roots of the trauma and and how to work through it and and that codependency that we have of Sometimes that codependency is on ourselves. We don't want to let go of some of that that safety we have and hand it over to someone else to help take care of us. We have to do everything right. ourselves and care for ourselves. And unfortunately, we're the ones that are wounded um, and and get past the stigma that we're broken. You know, Humpty Dumpty was broken and nobody could fix him. We can be fixed. You know, we have wounds. We we don't have missing parts. You know, you can right. fix a wound. You may have scars afterwards, but that's just part of life. You know, it's it's what builds us and what what shows us that we are survivors are, are those scars, but we're only wounded. And and part of that is is part of that trauma awareness that we're not broken we're wounded we can heal from this and and if you allow yourself you can heal from this because nothing there's nothing out there that can't be solved or resolved um to where you can have a happier and and a more fulfilling life it's being able to let go and allow that to happen is the tough part right well and one of the things i had a fascinating conversation with my therapist yesterday because one of the things I notice is that a lot of people want to go straight into the meditation and the slowing down and they forget about the fact that there's this massive charge in our bodies that needs to be released. And we were talking <laughs> about the, you know, like breaking some dollar store plates or going to the rage room or kicking the crap out yeah. of some pillows or doing some pillow punching. But there's, 
you know, a lot of people forget that anger and rage is the aftermath of grief and trauma. Yes. And yes. a lot of times when you bottled it up for so long, you just think, oh, well, it's part of my personality to be crabby all the time. And I just like to, you know, bitch and complain. I mean, that can be the symptom itself. And it can be so easy to miss because, you know, Mm-hmm. Who you know who doesn't have road rage? That's normal. Everybody drives terribly. I mean, there are ten thousand excuses for us to be angry, and we either avoid the anger because we're people pleaser, codependents, and we don't want to you know we don't want anybody see that rage, and then we're again holding on to that charge of the trauma that like until right. we let that explosion come out that needs to come out, we're not going to get to the point of the breakdown and you know getting the good night's rest. Exactly. It takes a long time. It takes a huge long time to get to that point. Well, and I can't um, imagine and, having a job where I was re-traumatized. You know, I'm expecting to be yeah, every day on a regular <laughs> basis. Yeah. 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 It is. It, it's tough. And and that's why there's a lot of addictions in these first responder careers. Um, and And it's tough to get them to break that cycle because that cycle is comforting to them. You know, yeah. they they have their support group, they they have their safe haven and trying to get them to realize that it's not always a safe haven. It's a codependency. And it can it's just like any other codependency, it can be broken. And and I think and it's it's almost comparable to narcissists with their 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 victims because we we become codependent on them because they've isolated us from right. everything else and trying to break free of that. You're terrified. You, you have no sense of self. So you have no self-confidence in yourself to actually make wise choices or to make good decisions um, without that voice in the back of your head telling you the opposite of what you're doing and you know you you almost look for for people of that same caliber um until you realize that they're not helping you they're they're defeating you and and you feel like you're on that that little hamster wheel again and you have to break that chain that is part of that that dna trauma that needs to be broken you're only as strong as your weakest link even in yourself and and trying when you acknowledge that that weak link, it it puts a little, it puts something in your head that says, okay, we have a broken link here or a weak link here. How do we fix it? And then you you actually start looking for ways to fix it, and that is the change that needs to be made, right. so that DNA trauma doesn't get passed on to the next generation. Well, and especially with the traumatized brain it's so good at telling us things that aren't true. This is the only way to deal with this. You know, I'm going to lose all of my friends if I stop doing, you know, whatever it is. It's like, we forget that when we're dealing with things in isolation, the only voice we have, the only quote unquote voice of reason that we have is our own. And it's usually not reasonable at all. Yeah. My very That's first, why there's no free will. <laughs> right. My very first, my very first time um, having a, coaching client, she kept telling me, she was saying all these negative things about herself. And then she was telling me how amazing her boys were. They were so respectful. They were amazing in school. They had great, you know, she listed all these wonderful things. And so I'm like, you're trying to tell me 
that you're a terrible person and you raise these wonderful kids. I was like, you're, you failed yeah. to recognize that, you know, you were part of the reason that they're such great people and you've never, you know, you've never given yourself any credit for that. And you could just see it kind of sinking in like, oh, huh, yeah. You know, sometimes you need somebody <laughs> to tell you bulb. like, yeah. and like, I think somebody to tell you that it's normal, like just to yeah. say, Hey, it's normal for you to think negative, the most negative thing. Look at all the trauma you've been through. Exactly. Exactly. You know, and find ways to turn that negative saying into a positive saying so that your brain has to stop and basically rewire itself uh, or or have a, a recharge of, oh, we're not thinking negative. Now we're thinking positive. And it takes a while. But if you change everything you say or write down everything negative, and you actually turn around and in a different color ink, mostly red, because that's what we see first, is a positive thing to that negative thing that you just thought. Um, and taking and taking those positive things and putting them on a separate piece of paper, and that's what you focus on instead of and, and you basically you learn that that negative one, because we're not thinking like that anymore. We're going to start thinking what these positive traits are, what these positive um, ideals are and, and these positive goals and these positive things that you've influenced other people with and, and how you've made it a great impact on, on others. Um, and, and in order to do that, like you said, she had to have that influence inside of her to make her kids great. And and no matter what she thought of herself, that's not what her kids seen. Her kids seen a great mom, you know, and, and they they followed that dictate um, and her actions. She was giving them a, a positive action at the same time she was beating herself up. Right. And and, you know, it, it's hard to turn that around when you're so used to that voice in your head that well, you, I would assume that you, in this you think it's role. weird even that voice is part of what drives you guys, right? Like you have yeah. to do every, you know, it's that voice of responsibility has to be telling you that, it, you know, it's all on your shoulders. Absolutely. Because we can't screw up. Um, you know, lives depend on us. It's, you know, we see people on their worst day and if we screw up their, their worst day just got even more worse, which it can. And, you know, and it doesn't just affect our patients or the direct contact person that we're in, you know, that we're dealing with it. It's like that, that rock in the pond. It, it yeah. causes a ripple and it, it's not the, the, the victim or the person that we see first. It's everybody around them. It's their family. It's their friends. It's their coworkers. Everyone is affected by, by our, our choice, our decisions that we make. If we're not level-headed and if we're not, at our top performance and you can't go into a burning building at at even a hundred percent you've got to be 110 percent and that means especially your mental health has to be there at that top level right um and and we had a a philly medic um a year year and a half ago finished his four-day rotation finished his overnight shift had a great shift, had a smile on his face, went home and killed himself. As soon as he got off shift after a four after his four day rotation, four shift rotation, nobody knew about it. Nobody knew that there was a problem. 
And that's the thing is when someone is serious, nobody usually does know. Unfortunately, it's, you know, they, they're not going to announce. They're not going to, that's the thing was, you know, there's this joke about, you know, someone's running their mouth. Don't worry. Cause at least, you know, they're releasing all of it. Right. And that's not, you know, it's really sad. It's It's, it's not the ones that that advertise it. It's the ones that are quiet about it that are the serious ones. And, and you see that a lot as a first responder when, you know, it's, and it's the suicide of choice of opportunity because officers are the ones that take their own lives by guns. Usually for the most part, firefighters usually hang themselves because they know the strongest point of a building. Medics and EMTs are usually a drug overdose because that's what they have convenient at the time and that's what they're knowledgeable at the time. They really, they have it down pat. And those are the ones that if they do it on duty, that's what they're going to do it with. And there's, there, and it's weird that we hear a lot about officers that, that take their own life with their service weapon in their car. Um, but rarely do you ever hear about medics or firefighters taking their own lives because they're usually covered up. And, and I actually have a friend who is in a fire department who I go, you know what? I go, I've never heard of a firefighter taking their own life. And he goes, that's because they cover it up. Literally. Wow. They, they, they cover it up. They sweep it under the rug. And I'm like, uh, why? And he goes, because it's, if it happens, it's done in-house in the firehouse and they take care of the problem themselves and, and sweep it under the rug. Um, fire cops are a little harder because they're in a, a duty car. <laughs> right. So it's a little bit more noticeable. And the tough thing fire, about a suicide fire too is so that, different. Yeah. The, the really tough thing about a suicide is I know for me, just, I, you know, very complex, complex PTSD. And I didn't even know that till probably a decade. So the times that I've had people commit suicide that were close to me, it makes other people who are around it more suicidal and they're not going to talk about it, but it's like when you've seen somebody take the exit door, that's always in the back of your mind. Well, Mm so-and-so did it. Look how easy it was. You know, it's just, it's unfortunate that instead of deterring people, it almost makes it look or seem easier or like, you know, like, Oh, well that seems like a solution. Yeah. That's what happened with me when, when my friend took his life, um, he actually was, uh, he was ex-SWAT. He was a weapons expert uh, for the police department. He tested um, accessories for weapons for uh, gun companies, but then he took his own life with drugs, um, which kind of hit weird because I knew it. There was, there was a lot of other things going on with that besides personal issues. It wasn't personal. It was all professional issues. And three years after that, when I hit rock bottom, I actually thought about taking my own life. I was at the ninth gate of Dante's hell. And I was I was literally at my wit's end. And I had just gotten a tattoo on my arm with a feather with a semicolon. And underneath it, it said lift. And that's the only thing that kept me walking through the, the door each day, getting up each morning and looking on the internet for hours on end to find something to help me out because I was at my my wit's end. Um, and when my mom died, my my family tried to tell me that 
she she took her own life, which when I think about it at the time that I was thinking about it, it actually made more sense because she was at that that point of desolation with her illness. And she was in a sucky marriage <laughs> to my dad. And it was like she had no way out. And and it she she suffered in silence from a narcissist. So and then my friend takes his own life and it's like, oh my God, what what is going on here? And and I don't want to, I don't want to end up like that. I don't want to end up being in that point because it's not like anyone would care. So it was like a, a big struggle to get myself out of that hole. And when I realized that I had to do it by myself because there were no therapists out there who could understand what I was going through as a first responder, I was, I felt I was screwed because I'm like, what do I do? You know, and, and luckily I, I ended up finding the reboot recovery for first responders. I went two hours outside of Philadelphia there were no programs in Philadelphia, a city of 5 million people. I had to to public transportation two hours to a small town for a meeting for two hours and then two hours back on the bus once a week for 13 weeks. Wow. And I don't know what drove me, but every Sunday I would make that trip and it would made it for a long day. But it, at the end of the 13 weeks, I was actually kind of feeling better. Um, I, I still hated work, hated my boss. Um, but I wasn't at that point at that lowest point and nobody knew about it at work. Nobody asked me about my mental health. Nobody asked me how I was doing. It was just like, oh, she's having a bad day. And I'm thinking, dude, really? Of course. And, yeah, and, and nobody does that. It was, yeah. Yeah. You know, and it was like, I just want somebody to ask me how I'm doing because, I need someone to talk to. And there was no one there. There was no one there to ask that, that innocent question of how's your day going or how are you doing? There was nothing. And it's like, what is this world coming to at that point? That first responders are not looking out for their, their, their coworkers or their, each other. Yeah. their cohorts, you know, because that's what we should be having is each other's backs. And we don't. Well, and even um, the training, it's, it's shocking that, that you guys are not trauma informed while you're going through the training because you would think that that would be like yeah 101 i mean it's just and you can you know obviously like anytime you're dealing with a medical professional you can tell whether or not they are nine times out of ten they're not going to be but like it's just it does it almost feels like a little bit of a panic situation when you when you realize that like Oh wait, there is trauma-informed <laughs> care, and only like one percent of the world knows about it. Like you do feel very responsible uh, yeah. to get the bullhorn and be like, "Hey, everybody, there's a solution." Yeah, like- yeah. <laughs> well, exactly. So, how are you doing now? <laughs> um, I I do better. Um, I've I've actually um, part of my grief process was getting tattoos. That was my art therapy. I've been true part of that um, too. Yes. <laughs> And and that has helped. Um, I'm I'm not quite finished on the journey yet with the tattoos. The story's not done yet, but it's getting there. Um, and it's been a, it's been quite a while since my last tattoo. But and everybody comments on it, and I've had a lot of first responders comment on it. And and when I tell them the significance of it and why they're there, it it gives them pause as to oh, 
wow. Okay. This is, this is kind of, this is really personal and this is really deep. And someone is actually using this as a form of therapy, which inspires them even more. Um, they, they, they walk away with a thoughtful look on their face and it's that seed of, yeah, this is how I work through my trauma. And I'm also a trauma life coach. So it, it puts the seed into their, their mind that, Hey, there, are, there, there is someone out there that, that knows what you're going through, has gone through it and is, is wanting to work with you guys to get you through it at the same time. Um, so my business is actually now a nonprofit um, for first responders and veterans uh, because I know a lot of them need help and a lot of them don't have finances because life coaching is not covered by insurance. Right. <laughs> so there's there's some things in the works. Um, I just helped co-author a book for life coaches on different um, case studies and activities that other coaches can use to help um, their clients in different, oh, from all different kinds of, of situations, scenarios, um, that they can hopefully help their clients with on getting through, um, get, getting them into a better place as well. So, and that book comes out, supposed to come out next month on Amazon and Barnes and Noble. So I'm excited for that. And then, um, and what's the name of it within the next it's um I think it's called life Trim- life transformations for life coaches. Well, make obviously make sure so, you send me a link. Um, when I we will finish definitely up so send I you can a link. Put that in the show notes for people. Absolutely, and um, uh, within the next two years, um, I'm going to be starting up a, a working farm out in Oregon, um, for first responders and veterans to basically have like an Airbnb, but it's going to be something that. If they want to get their hands dirty, they can work in the garden center. They can work in um, on the fields. Um, they can basically get back to the basics. A lot mm-hmm. of people need that that time away where it's just like a vacation. But at the same time, if there's triggers, um, there's um, a life coach like me will be there, uh, like a yoga instructor, um, a nutritionist. Um, just various people that can help them with whatever they're struggling with. Because once the people, you get them out of that, that high stress zone and, and into a relaxed zone, they, they send, they tend to break down some of those walls. Right. Um, and then they're more open and, and eventually there'll be horses and dogs for both equine and canine therapy as well, because those seem to be the best things for, for anyone traumatized is getting back to someone that's going to love them unconditionally, no matter what, in what phase they're in, in their life. And a lot of times you can get those animals to help break down those barriers that we can't as, as human beings. Yeah. One of my and, favorite and once they get that, is similar. Like yeah. you wouldn't treat people if they didn't have either close friend or pet can't be, you can't be solo. <laughs> Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, and that's why that, you know, this is all on a farm because there's going to be other people there. Right. Um, you don't have to have the responsibility of exactly. taking your own animal. Absolutely. You know, and it's a lot of times that's what helps these first responders. They actually have a group of dogs that goes around to the various firehouses here in Philadelphia and they're therapy dogs. Um, but 
it's weird because it's like hit or miss. If they're out on a call, they don't get to see the dogs. Um, and then if they're, they're, you know, and if they get a call in the middle of uh, the dogs being there, they have to leave. So it it works, but it doesn't work. Um, there needs to be some changes to it, I guess. Um, so, but I'm not worried about PFD and their dogs. I'll do my own thing. (laughs) Well, it sounds like um, you've got lots in the, in the hopper and lots of things coming up. That's really Huge yeah. congratulations on the continuing ed. You're literally living one of my fantasies right now. That's something I was thinking about last, a couple months ago when actually my therapist and I are going to create some courses together. But that was one of the things nice. I talked to her about. I was like, I was so shocked and upset when I realized the rest of the world wasn't trauma informed. That's like, well, well what is this? It, We're going to exactly. do something about it. Like, <laughs> It is because, you know, for as many people as there are in this world, one percent's not that much. I mean, and it's, I just it's made like that up. A, a drop it feels like one <laughs> percent. It it does because there's there's so many people and so many suicides and so many broken marriages, broken relationships, um, broken people, people losing their jobs, people in re, re yeah. There's and it's and you know, unfortunately we can't be the King's men and put Humpty Dumpty back together again, but we can at least heal the wounds um, so that they don't stay broken or, or feel like they are broken anymore because they're not, they're, they're, they're only wounded. And, And I think a lot of people in that, that traumatic situation think that they are broken and they can't be fixed. And, and so that's where that, that, that I guess that suicide tendency comes in because we 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 give up hope. Um, yes, and I we, think we don't have biggest, the faith. One of the biggest and most healing things for me in this entire process has been, I think, when I did my training and like the first time, the guy describes like nervous system dysregulation, and then he says, "You realize that even though this is really annoying, it's normal. It's a sign that your yeah. nervous system is functioning." And just hearing somebody say normal, I think my entire nervous system relaxed of like, okay, so it's normal to feel this crazy. Oh yeah, it's normal. Okay. Yeah. And and it can be fixed. <laughs> yep, it can be fixed. Okay. I'm listening. Let's do it. Awesome. Like, yeah. 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 As soon as they said normal, I was like, really? I think my head probably like rotated all the way around and then you know ended up you know center again. And I was well, that's normal. because we have society that says that we have a society that says what's that's wrong not with you? Normal. Why yeah, are you acting? You like have that? a problem. Yeah, yeah. It you know they disregard it as you having a bad day or that you're just a, a bitch or whatever. Yes, you should um, be ashamed like, of yourself. You know yeah, yeah. You know the shame comes in and the public humiliation and the the disinterest of oh I don't want to be around that person because they're they're cranky and they have a bad attitude or they're and it's like come on guys you know we're all in the same boat here, you know, and they, it's funny because, you know, it's like, and I've learned this through my process of that whenever I have a negative thought about somebody, I have to stop and think, you know what, maybe they're having a bad day too, but that's on them. It, it could not reflect on me and how I should feel, you know, cause if I'm having a great day and I, I talk to a coworker who's, who's notoriously cranky, it's like, you know what? Obviously, you know, this is your problem. Leave me alone. (laughs) And I started putting up those boundaries. Yes. And how many of us don't realize that being perpetually cranky is depression? Exactly. My depression is more cranky than 
moping, you know, and like, I'm not usually yeah. sad. I'm usually reactive, short tempered. And I don't, mm-hmm. I mean, for eons, I, I didn't believe in depression. I did. That wasn't real. And then when I finally realized like, oh, so my depression is like physical pain and being a crabby yeah. ass and like my shoulders hurt. Right. Like it's not, it's, you know, it just, it comes through in so many ways that people don't tell you like your body exactly. is expressing the pain that you're in. You might just think that you're sore or, or tense all the time because of your job, but really you're, you're bracing for impact because you're holding on to that trauma. Yep. 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 People can't call can break it down as though you're having a stressful day. No, it's not stress. I'm just cranky. <laughs> I just don't want to people today. And then it's like, Oh crap. You know, it's that depression mode again. I got to get out of it. And um, when I do that, I, I turn to my own therapy, which helps a lot. I burn a lot of candles. <laughs> I have a lot of essential oils and I look at certain colors. I have only col- certain colors I deal with um, when I'm in that mood to get me out of that mood. Right. Um, and and I've learned through all the 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 Reiki and even the breath work that I do um, that aromatherapy has actually been a lifesaver for me. Um, I actually inspired a coworker. I I burn a can. I'm a construction site medic, so in my little office, I burn a candle um, because you know I got to have something to calm me down. And I work nights, so it's like get me through the night somehow. And I actually inspired the night supervisor to burn a candle in his office to get that same calmness um, of whatever aroma he liked. And and so we both burn candles at each end of the field office. <laughs> <laughs> because it, it helps us get through the night and it keeps us at an even keel so that we're not stressed out. You know, we, we still have that stress, but we can we can acknowledge it and deal with it better without letting it control us at that same time, which is not good. Yeah, definitely. Well, I feel like we should probably tie up here. We've been on almost an hour. Oh yeah, we're right at the mark there. Oh wow. <laughs> I know, right? That flew by. Um, do me a favor and share with me a little bit about the programs that you have available. Um, let us know your website address and how people can get in touch with you. Okay. Um, for my free consultation, um, you can go to https colon backslash backslash heal heal dot me. And you can look me up under Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. And if you put in the search uh, first responder, I'm one of the first ones that come up. I'm the only first responder that actually does first responder coaching. I have a 20-minute consultation free that they can schedule um, with my calendar availability already on there. If they find one that they cannot, they can't get that time or do that time due to work schedules or whatever, they can go to my Facebook page to internal consciousness. Um, they can message me there. My email is also on there at emsfitness323 at gmail.com. They can email me, just put in the subject line free consultation. So I know to, to look at that. I My website is https colon backslash backslash internal hyphen consciousness.ueniweb.com. And on there, it has a lot, it has a, most of the programs from the Reiki certification for first responders to shadow work to um, 
the one-year-long program of complex PTSD versus PTSD, and we basically go through everything. Um, and it's it's a it's a long process. It's a year, but it's worth the investment because, like you said, we can't just rush into things and and take it, you know, with this with a slam to the to the gut. It it's a process that has to be worked through because going through PTSD is it's a balancing act. You got to find that balance. And in order to do that, you have to take the time with it. Um, my shadow work programs, workshops are 30 days. Um, I usually work with someone uh, within a, um, 30 days of two meetings, two one-on-ones, and they can text me, um, call me if they have any questions. But a lot of that is one-on-one um, to independent work because that's it's something they have to work on. I just give them the tools to do it. Um, I'm also on social media at LinkedIn, uh, Twitter at the Twitter call sign is at EMS fitness three, two, three. Um, and then I'm also on Instagram, TikTok, and, uh, Tumblr as well. So there's lots of different, uh, social media sites that they can pull up. Um, I also have a, a Facebook EMS fitness group. That's, um, another page they can, uh, get in contact with me through as well. Heal me is the main one though for the scheduling. And okay. like I said, they can always email me or call me um, at 215-618-5446 to um, schedule a time that's not on my calendar and I can put it in there for them um, okay. on my end. Perfect. So and obviously I'll, they I'll can link definitely do that. Bio. Great. Sorry, awesome. I didn't mean to and talk when I, you. I think we have a delay. No, <laughs> That that's okay. Um, I'll also get you the link to the um to the book when it comes out. And um I'm I'm international. I just I only speak English. I'm sorry. I, I don't do <laughs> can't do translations. I can do English. Hey, but at least if, there's Google Translate. You know, there, <laughs> there is, you know, and, and you know, the veterans that are over there overseas deployed, they can always reach me too. So that's why. Those are the main ones that if they don't have, there's not a time they can schedule it in. We can always figure out a time that they can just satellite, satellite me yeah. um, and we'll figure it out from there. I'm, I'm totally flexible with them. Absolutely. Awesome. Well, congratulations on your new program, uh, your training program. And thank you enormously for all the work that you're doing in the world. It's, there's more work than, than the, those of us that are trained could possibly carry. <laughs> There is. And, and thank you. You know, and the best thing is that, you know, I get to work with a bunch of great first responders and veterans that I've, I've been meeting um, through all of my things. And, you know, it's um, I don't think it gets said enough to them of just what they do is so important that, you know, it's um, it's nice to be able to do something for them because they do do so much for everybody else, um, especially the veterans out there um, that are on deployment away from their families. I am going to be putting in a program on my website soon for um, it's a group therapy session for significant others and spouses of first responders and military. Oh, great. They seem to get left out. Um, <laughs> you know, they're the ones that that work with that that live with these first responders and, and veterans. That when they they come across their spouse or, or significant other that's having a bad day, they need to have the tools to 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 work through that wall 
that that's right. been erected and to help the kids that want to see or interact with mom or dad in camp because mom or dad are just they're in that zone or they're they're out of that zone basically um so that you know these kids and these these spouses can can get some support too because they're kind of at left out and you know in center field out there and not a lot of resources for them to be able to to talk about their first responder or their veteran um, to anyone that would understand. So I do have, I will have that. I will be posting that on the website probably within the next week. Um, and okay, then they can great. use the same, they can use the same contact info um, and consultation link um, to schedule an appointment too, as well. Awesome. Well, it was really great to connect with you today and lovely conversation. I really enjoyed learning about your Likewise. Work. Likewise. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much. All right. Thank you for listening to Healing Matters. If you have found this content useful, I invite you to like, subscribe, and share my videos and links. If you're interested in my books or other materials, please look for links in the show notes. The views and opinions shared on Healing Matters are those of each contributor and do not necessarily represent the views of the brand. While I am a trauma-informed coach, I am not a doctor, and this podcast should not be mistaken for mental health care. The information contained in this podcast is not meant to harm or malign any party or person. We are simply here to discuss healing matters of all kinds. Thanks for showing up. Your healing matters.